0: Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at emmausroad.com. Good morning. Uh, So, greetings from Woking. Just been there. I hear Sammy tells me that you prayed for kind of the accident that happened last night. So the good news is that seven of the eight children that were taken to hospital have been discharged, they're fine, and the only one remaining apparently doesn't have any serious injuries. So thank the Lord, thank you for praying, working and doing well, they're encouraged, but um, that's amazing. So, yeah, a little bit of clout, God is good. So today we are going to be carrying on our series, going to be finishing it up, like Sammy says, on the life you always wanted. But before we get into that, this week I had a flight to Belfast. So on Thursday I had a day trip to Belfast, flew out early in the morning, flew home late at night and I was getting some of the venues booked for 24-7's international gathering next year. It's going to be our 20th birthday, we're incredibly excited. Please, do come. We love it when as many amazed people as possible can get there. And if you book on before Christmas, you get £26 off because we know that no one's got money before Christmas. So if you can come, we would love you to come. But anyway, I flew EasyJet and so as could be expected, my flight was meant to be at 8.05pm. 7.05pm, I'm told there is going to be a delay. Keeps clocking up. 8.30, 9, 9 9.15, we're sat on the tarmac. And so I I start looking around me and there was a guy sat on the row behind me on the seats and he had a t-shirt and the t-shirt really made me laugh because it says this, the hardest thing about the zombie apocalypse will be pretending that I'm not excited. (laughs) And so what was funny is... To be fair, I don't know this guy at all, but nothing about him seemed like he would do well in a zombie apocalypse. (laughs) That's possible way. So, you know, he obviously was flying. He wasn't saving his money to build some sort of underwater fortress, which we all know is the only way to survive the zombie apocalypse. He wasn't reading an SAS guide about kind of survival techniques or edible plants. And to be honest, his physique did not suggest that he was ready for the hardship of the zombie apocalypse. He wasn't sort of looked like he could lift like Chris Kachani or, you know, run like Nikki Cahoo- or survive in the wild like Tom and Naomi Brewer. He didn't appear ready. I think actually in the face of the reality, his excitement may be short-lived. But as I was preparing this talk, I kind of thought we can sometimes be like the people in that T-shirt, right? Sometimes we can get excited about a certain way of life, but we're not always good at cultivating the actions we need to live in the life we're excited about. And so, Dallas Willard, in his kind of foundational book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, puts it really well when he says, the general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time, not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. This is the feature of the human character that explains why the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. And so, just like my fellow air traveler who perhaps believed that completing Resident Evil or countless hours of reruns of The Walking Dead prepared the survival instinct inside of him, we can be so guilty of watching people live the life we want to get excited about, but not always good at cultivating it ourselves. My Instagram is full of hashtag Monday motivation, but not once has it got me to the gym. You'll be surprised to know. And so today, as we finish up our series from John Ortberg's book, the title is Going the Distance. Going the Distance. And we want to look at how do we move from moments of faith to a life of faithfulness? A lot of you will know that the hero of the faith and author of the Message Bible, Eugene Peterson, passed away recently. And I love the title of his book on discipleship. It's called, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And as he passed away and you know, your social media is full of people talking about how they were blessed by his work, I saw one memoir that really stuck out to me and it just said, Eugene has completed his long obedience. And I thought, what a stunning memoir that would be at the end of your life to say you did it. You lived the life of faithfulness. You completed your long obedience. And so over the last five weeks... Studying this topic, we've looked at a number of spiritual practices. Slowing, celebrating, prayer, confession, meditation and service. And I wonder if you're sitting there and thinking, you know, you've been inspired by this series to maybe weave a number of these different practices into your everyday. Or actually like a pro athlete, you're feeling the need to focus on one specific muscle group. Your kind of Christian diet is weak in one area. Maybe life has got very busy and actually the Lord is talking to you about slowing and retreating. Or your calendar's got too full and the Lord is wanting your time again in prayer every day. Whatever it is for you. Because I want to challenge you that even Jesus the greatest preacher, the greatest, most compelling communicator to have ever lived. When he shared the parable of the sower and he talked about how the word goes out and it lands on different types of soil, even Jesus says that oftentimes it doesn't take root. In one specific time he says, and I love this, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the seed. And so the key as we move forward and we've been studying these practices, we can have all the best intentions in the world. But what is something you could decide to do right now that means that the seed doesn't fall on bad soil? It doesn't get choked out by the cares of the world, the busyness of this life or the deceitfulness of wealth, but it takes root and produces in us the life we are hoping for. And maybe the key is don't try to do too much but definitely don't do nothing. right? That's the kind of the simple word of the Lord. And so, as we move into the final part of this book, I want to look at the chapter uh, that looks at our hearts. And so, if you have your Bible there, would you turn with me to the book of Proverbs? And we're going to be reading from chapter 4 and verse 23. And so it says this, Above all else, would you say that with me? Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Or in another translation, it says, For everything, everything that you do flows from it. Well, I guess the first question is, what is the heart? that Proverbs is talking about? Well, the Bible refers to the heart almost 1,000 times. And it is the part of us that is described in the Old Testament as becoming rocky and callous, but prophesies that Jesus would give us a new heart, an upgraded heart, a transformed heart. And I think a helpful definition would be, it is the spiritual part where our emotions and our desires dwell. It is the spiritual part where our emotions and our desires dwell. And I want you to get this. It is that part of you that the Bible says, above everything else in life, guard, protect, tend to that part of you. Now, the things in life that we guard, the things that we protect, have to fulfil two criteria, I would like to suggest. Number one, we understand their value. So we only guard, we only protect the things in life that we understand their value. I remember the day that I proposed to Hannah and I flew her over to Northern Ireland, kind of her home country. And I remember I had the ring in my pocket and every two or three minutes I'm doing this. Has it fallen out? Has it been taken? Did security steal it without me looking? Right? Everywhere I'm doing this. Now, the truth is, kind of maybe all my credit cards or my car keys were worth more monetary value. But to me, in that moment, that ring had the most value in the world. So I guarded it, I watched over it, I protected it, I mended to it. So we understand value. And secondly, we only protect the things we think are vulnerable. You might think that something is of a lot of value, but if only you're, if it's only valuable to you, there's no need to guard it. There's no need to particularly protect it. But when we understand that something is vulnerable, that is when we guard it. That is where we protect it. We put measures in to keep it safe. And so we can extrapolate two simple but profound things from this one verse in Proverbs. First of all, in God's view... Nothing is more valuable than your heart. Nothing is more valuable than your heart. And we see that in the life of Jesus, right? He's constantly challenging actions that are only skin deep. He's constantly compelling people to have a heart change deep inside of who they are. So first of all, we know that God values the heart. Secondly, we understand that God thinks that your heart is vulnerable, right? And that is because he knows that it's of value to him, but it's also of value to the world, and it's also of value to the enemy. When I read this, and uh, apologies, because maybe this is a little intense, but it reminds me of that bit in Lord of the Rings where Frodo arrives in the fellowship at the inn and he meets Strider, you know, Aragorn. And they have this little bit of dialogue where he's been chased by the ring wraiths, And Aragorn says... Are you afraid? And Frodo says, yes. And Aragorn says, not nearly afraid enough. I know what hunts you. Now, am I telling you to be afraid? No, of course not. Don't be afraid. The Bible says, don't be afraid. But sometimes I think we get naive when we look at our hearts. And we need to have a sober appreciation that it is being contested. There are things contesting for your heart every day. And so it would seem to me that if we want to do this life of not just small flashes of faith, but a lifetime of long obedience in the same direction, we need to have measures, practices, disciplines that guard our heart, that keep our heart in line with Jesus. John Ortberg entitles the chapter in his book, Living with a Well-Ordered Heart. I really like that. "...Living with a well-ordered Heart." And he uses Augustine's definition that living with, a well-ordered heart is loving, the right thing, to the right degree, in the right way, with the right kind of love. A well-ordered heart is loving the right thing, to the right degree, in the right way, with the right kind of love. Because the truth is, because of the fall, we have what can be described as disordered affections. Disordered affections. And there is a complexity to this that we have to grasp. It's not quite as simple as we take what is good and we shun what is evil. Right? The Bible talks about a total reordering and realignment of our heart's desires that come back in line with the original creation. Or to say it another way, when the heart is well-ordered, we are not only increasingly free from sin, we're also increasingly free from the desire to sin. Because I think sin has the capacity to choke out our hearts, right? to choke out this wellspring of life. When our affections get a bit disordered, when sin takes a hold, the wellspring gets a little bit contaminated. And this verse in Proverbs tells us something we need to grasp because it tells us that we can't be naive and believe that it's okay to kind of compartmentalise sin in one areas of our life. We can't kind of be okay with it being there because it contaminates the well. Sin seeps out. Right? A really simple example is you can't just have a little bit of road rage and think you're going to be incredibly gentle in all other areas of life. It doesn't work like that. Sin seeps out. It contaminates in the ever-wise words of Sheriff Woody. Somebody poisoned the waterhole. And so maybe if you're finding you know, there's some area where you know that you're not actually living within the desired order of things, maybe that's where the practice of confession that we looked at might be helpful for you. Maybe to gather, to be honest before the Lord, to be honest before a trusted brother or sister, to bring that thing into the light and work out how do you get your desires back into order? But I don't want to focus too much on that because I think there's another part of life, there's another category, criteria, state that our heart can fall into that we don't talk about very much in church. And I think that's where our hearts can just get cluttered, right? They just get cluttered. Who here, show of hands, feels like trying to keep their house clean is an uphill struggle? Yeah, like everyone, right? And no one particularly does anything wrong, although Hannah would say the pyjamas don't belong in the bathroom. But, you know, no one, just life happens, right? It just gets used. Plates get used, dinner gets made, books get read, all of those things that happen in life. But you find that if you don't take time every night to put things back, suddenly three or four days go by and you're like, wow, I'm a pig. You know, who's been there? And I tell you, when you have kids, wowee. Dirty nappies, wow. (laughs) Life just means that our homes get cluttered. And I think the truth is, the same thing happens with our hearts. There is something by the very nature of living in a fallen world means that every day, just by walking along the road, just by going to a shop, just by watching TV, just by listening to the radio, just by conversations with a coworker, we are exposed to so much. I put it like this, we are being subjected to a relentless stream of opinions on the nature of value and virtue. We are constantly being subjected to a relentless stream of opinions on the nature of value and virtue theologians say that ever since that first conversation between the serpent and eve humanity has grappled with three core questions one is theological one is sociological and one is philosophical this philosophy this is a long day and the first one the first question This is the conversation. This is what the serpent was trying to kind of tell Eve about. What is the true character of God? Secondly, what is the true value and identity of me? And thirdly, what is the true path to a fulfilled life? So it's three questions that are constantly being sought over, thought about, turned over. What is the true character of God what is the true value and identity of me? And what is the true path to a filled life? And the truth is, Hollywood, music, media, advertising, everything preaches you a message about one of those three things. Who are you really? How much value do you have really? Is that really the path to happiness? Is that really what a fulfilled life looks like? The average person in the Western world is exposed to 4,000 to 10,000 adverts every single day. And every single one of them is telling you a message about God, about you, and about a fulfilled life. And we are discipled by who or what we follow. And so I would like to suggest that by living on this planet, it is inevitable that we go to bed with cluttered hearts. Right? We just go to bed with cluttered hearts and we understand that our hearts are valuable and our hearts are vulnerable because we so easily become believers in the truth we most expose ourselves to we so easily become believers in the truth that we most expose ourselves to. And this is why spiritual practices are so important. Spending time every day meditating and feasting on the Word, on what God says about himself, about what God says about you, about what God says about the path to a fulfilled life. To spend time in prayer and in worship. To spend time in confession to spend time in service, taking those beliefs and putting them into physical action. Because to be blunt, if you were to put these two things on a scale, we can't spend six and a half days being exposed to all of those truths and half a day on Sunday being exposed to God's truth and think that we're going to stay on the right path. You just plot those things on a scale like that's so hard and so we need to expose ourselves to the truth we most want to follow and that's why spiritual practices become so important so maybe for you at the end of day at the end of the day you might want to look at the examine an ancient contemplative prayer where you process each day with the lord just to help to declutter your heart there's five really simple steps one you become aware of God's presence. He promised that he was always with us. So you just become aware of his presence. Two, you think through your day with gratitude. You bring it before the Lord and you thank him for the day. Three, you reflect through it emotionally. This is where your heart piece comes into play. What emotions did you did kind of well up, did spring up, did you feel? Why? What was the thing that was contending for your hearts in those moments? And you bring those before the Lord and then you choose something to pray for. And finally you finish by looking forward to tomorrow and offering that to the Lord. It's a really simple prayer that maybe you'd like to just give those five minutes. It's amazing how much of our walk is determined by those simple five minutes that we choose to offer sometimes. Richard Foster said it brilliantly, he said, "'Often the genuinely significant issues "'are decided in the small corners of life.'" Often the genuinely significant issues are decided in the small corners of life. Christianity was never meant to be a daily mountaintop experience, right? If we were to get Jesus's diary, most days would say, I built a chair. Or Paul's would be, I put together a tent, Right? There is so much of our Christian life that is just ordinary days, but we are called to do ordinary days in extraordinary ways. That's the key. The key to being able to live a longevity, a long obedience in the same direction, is how do we live ordinary days in extraordinary ways. In that book, Eugene Peterson says, there is a great market for religious experience in our world. But there is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. It's so challenging. One thing I find really helpful when just decluttering my home is what I like to call hospitality accountability. Right? you know what I'm saying? Like, suddenly you've got people coming round. Suddenly it's time to clean. You know? Oh, Hannah, we've got people coming for dinner. Suddenly, okay, let's put all the things down. Let's just clean. Let's make sure it's nice for people coming in. I think the same is true for our hearts. Right? Find some ways that your heart can have hospitality, accountability. Who are you letting come into the home of your heart? What is a trusted brother or sister that you're gathering with, who you're allowing to ask intentional questions? They get to see it. They get to see if it's becoming cluttered or choked or chaotic. Maybe there's some people here you just want to say, you know, we hang out most weeks, how about we just have three simple questions we ask? Because we're passionate about not just doing this thing for a few years, but going the distance, a long obedience in the same direction. I know a number of people in this room, in this church, have signed up to become members of the Order of the Mustard Seed, a rule of life, whereby they journey with people committing to the gospel. Just find it helpful to have that every year. They gather with friends and they recommit themselves to this gospel, to this apprenticeship to Jesus. Maybe you'd want to look at that. Talk to Jill Weber, who kind of pulls that whole thing together. Or maybe you just want to do it with your friendships. Maybe you want to find someone older and maybe wiser in the faith to gather with and ask them to hold you accountable. But you know, maybe you're here and you're not feeling very cluttered. You're not feeling very chaotic. You're definitely not feeling choked. But actually, there's a third thing that maybe instead of those we need to search for, and that's how do we constantly keep our hearts captivated by Christ? Narva Church, one of our partner churches, another boiler room in Kansas City, have this line they say to each other, never let anything sparkle in your eyes more than Jesus. I really like that. Never let anything sparkle in your eyes more than Jesus. Maybe you're not feeling cluttered. Maybe you're not feeling chaotic. But if you look back, somewhere you stopped practicing wonder. Somewhere along the line, actually, it all got a little bit less exciting for you, less compelling. And wonder is not just something that is passive. Wonder is something we practice, something that's active. You know, Starbucks released their Red Cups this week. Christmas is finally here. You know, but this is a season of wonder. You know, the truth that our Jesus put flesh and bone on, that he came to earth, that he reached down, that it wasn't about us trying to strive towards him, but he came. He became one of us. He died in our place that we might become the righteousness of God. When's the last time that kind of put a spring in your step? When's the last time you practiced wonder? you were captivated by Christ. C.S. Lewis said, Christ dazzles me and stirs within me such feelings of amazement that I can't get over him. Christ dazzles me and stirs me with such feelings of amazement that I can't get over him. How might you practice wonder in this run-up to Christmas? And so I'd love to just finish by reading the parable of the sower to you. And if you feel comfortable as I do that, maybe you could close your eyes and maybe you could have a moment with the Holy Spirit. Think back over the last five weeks. Think back at some of the nuggets that people have brought when they looked at meditation or prayer or worship or confession or service or freedom. What's been those things that have kind of stuck out to you And as I read these words of Jesus, maybe talk to him around what is some ways that he might be calling you to make your heart a more fertile soil. What are some of the places that maybe the soil has got a little bit thin? What are some of the ways that you can move forward from these five weeks, not just being impressed, but with a strategy that's actually going to cause transformation? Paul says there's two options in life. You either become conformed to the world or you become transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's the only two options. Each day, one of those two things is happening. So what is the ways, what are the disciplines, what is the active strategy you could partner with the Holy Spirit towards seeing your mind renewed and your soul transformed to being more like Christ? And so, let me read these words from the Gospel of Matthew That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path." Psalm 30, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the words of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. He endures for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But as for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty and in another thirty. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the testimony of people like Eugene Peterson. Lord Jesus, who demonstrate to us this life of faithfulness in apprenticeship to you, this long obedience in the same direction. Lord, we hear this invitation from you, but we also hear this warning. Lord, help us put things into our life that would create a fertile soil that might see your words grow and bear fruit. And God, above all, Help us to constantly stay captivated by you, by the wonder and the mystery of this gospel that we love. Thank you, God, that you came to earth. You came to serve and not be served. We love you, Jesus. Amen.